This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hi again, everybody. This is Duke Kip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And we're very uh, we're delighted to be having another great guest with us today for this episode. We have with us the Executive Director for the Mekong Institute, Mr. Sarayan Pichetokarn. Hi, Sarayan. How are you? I am fine, Duke. Uh, pleased to see you and colleagues of uh, CropLife Asia. It's been a while. Uh, so uh, pleased to be with, with you in this program. Excellent. Well, it's good to, good to see you, if even just virtually. Good to catch up and have a, have a chat about things. So uh, in the spirit of the five good questions, we'll, we'll jump right in and uh, start with the first one, maybe really to kind of get a uh, maybe a little information about the Mekong Institute and, and some insight from you. I know one of the primary focuses really for the Mekong Institute is agricultural development and commercialization in the greater Mekong subregion, or as you just deemed the, the GMS area. Of course, central to agriculture in our region is the smallholder farmer who really makes it all possible. And as you know, very, very well aware of this, Asia is so unique. We have the most number of smallholder farmers, and I think the smallest size farms of anywhere in the world. Um, maybe you can share a little bit about the Mekong Institute and the work that you're helping to lead uh, to support the GMS smallholders. Thank you. Uh, Mekong Institute is an intergovernmental organization established by the uh, sixth uh, Greater Mekong subregion. So uh, the purpose of Macro Institute is to promote capacity development for regional cooperation and economic integration. So as you said, uh, agriculture is one of the uh, themes we are focusing on, but we are also working on trade facilitation, uh, energy and environment. Because of this, uh, Macro Institute uh, has a very unique role to play. That is to assist the GMS countries and also stakeholders to see how we can support them in the implementation of the various policy framework into implementation on the ground. On agriculture, of course, uh, uh, after years of uh, experience working in this topic, so uh, this happened also to be something I have keen interest. Micro Institute helped the GMS country to see how we can support them in terms of enhanced capacity of farmers, uh, be it smallholder farmers uh, and also companies. So as for them to really uh, enhance their uh, capacity in response to the market requirement, uh, production standards, and so on and so forth. So we have a series of, of activities we have conducted, uh, such as in terms of uh, uh, food safety uh, standard, in terms of production standard, and so on and so forth. In terms of smallholder farmers, we will not work with them directly, uh, although we do in some pilot cases. So, for example, in terms of linking smallholder farmers in the regional economic corridors, you know, so that we can ensure that they are included in the value chain. You know, but most of cases we are working with uh, farmer association. We work with uh, chamber of commerce. We work with uh, uh, governments, even civil society. So besides uh, the so-called the mainstream agricultural development support we work, we also help the farmers, including the smallholder farmers, to really connect them with the so-called GMS economic corridor development. These are where 
it's become an entry point that that they can be part of the uh, economic integration initiative. For example, help them to understand what are the uh, opportunities where agricultural products can link to better market and value chain. Whether what are the demand from the uh, product standard, food safety, quality requirement, you know, and even if there are SMEs, how they can really meet the requirement of a cross-border trade, uh, you know, like SPS standard and things like that. So in short, uh, this has been uh, the work in supporting them in order to link up with the Greater Mekong sub-region economic corridors and also enhance capacity to meet all the product standard and market requirements. Excellent. Thank you for that. No, it sounds like a lot of good work that's happening there. So uh, on the second question, I want to maybe take a look back on this year specifically. Okay. We think back about maybe some of the more consequential food and ag discussions that, that have happened. There have been quite a few. One of the bigger ones that I know uh, we've talked about on this program quite a bit was the 2021 Food System Summit that was led by the United Nations, the Food System Summit. Yeah. Uh, and I know you're aware of this. The summit was really intended to identify and launch these new actions around the 17 sustainable development goals, you know, looking at the SDGs and, and finding ways really to ensure healthier, more sustainable and equitable food systems. Well, and of course, we're all also still grappling with COVID-19 and repercussions of that. And learned a lot, I learned a lot about the, um, certainly around sustainability, but also I guess the resiliency and the fragility of our food systems here in the region. So I guess kind of coming down to it, I'm, I'm curious about maybe your thoughts on how we what can we do to work together more generally as food food and ag stakeholders to ensure that the food systems in our region are more more sustainable, but at the same time made more resilient as well, if that's possible? Yes, uh, thank you for that uh, question, Duke. Um, Mekong Institute engaged already at the early stage uh, as a preparation for the uh, UN Food System Summit, even uh, starting already from the end of last year. So we work with uh, many partners and stakeholders in uh, engaging in so-called uh, pre-summit dialogue. So we organized a series of uh, webinars discussing this. I think the most important shift in the thinking that we are now working on is that instead of uh, using a sectoral approach to agricultural development, I think we all agree to the fact that we cannot no longer do that. We need to really work towards the common goal of maintaining functionality and resiliency of the food systems. Of course, that doesn't sound so easy in the actual implementation. So what we have learned over the past almost uh, one year now is that much of it remained to be seen on how food systems will be reflected into policy. What are the implementation systems look like and how we can really witness the uh, impact on the ground. So what Mekong Institute together with a number of partners and this including FAO, Stockholm Environment Institute, GIZ, um, quite a number, we have about nine or 10 partners now. What we are looking at is, I think the next uh, steps that we all need to help GMS country to work towards this food systems is to create an implementation model and provide implementation support. On that, uh, Macron Institute are uh, now uh, tasked by this partner to coordinate what we call uh, developing implementation support for food system in the greater Macron sub-region. There is already a proposal uh, developed 
and this has been already uh, uh, supporting by a number of uh, organizations. So we received already a contribution from FAO, GSM, Stockholm Environment Institute, uh, APRAGA, the uh, Asia-Pacific Rural and Agriculture Credit Association. Some of the activities are already ongoing now. So the issue is how we can ensure the food system has a robust policy and a clear implementation systems at the local, national, and sub-regional level. Thanks again for that. And you know we've been touching on so many challenges. I know just within that resiliency, sustainability, and if it's okay, I'd like to touch on another big one for farmers here in the region. That's climate change and what we're, yeah. we're seeing here. So as you know as well, staying with the UN uh, earlier this year, the United Nations uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a report that got a lot of attention uh, back in August, warning warning rather against uh, human-induced irreversible climate change, calling for rapid actions and global cooperation. And a lot's happened since then, certainly through COP26 and other, you know, other deliberations as well. But at that, at that point, the report was referred to by the uh, UN SecGen uh, Guterres as, as being the code red for humanity. Well, I'd just like to get your thoughts on this. What does this all mean for us here in the region? What does this mean for food security specifically here in Asia? And what should the stakeholders be thinking about as far as what we can do to help? Yes, and thank you, uh, Duke. Uh, in fact, uh, prior to the COP26, we already witnessed the extreme impact we received from extreme climate events, flood, drought, typhoon, and so on and so forth. So I think uh, it's not only in terms of uncertainty the experience, but the magnitude of the impact has been even greater. Although it's difficult to understand what it will bring in the near future, but surely what I can say now is that the impact is real, you know, we are facing them. And the knowledge about agriculture will be changing. What we know uh, over the past 20, 25, 30 years now will change because of the climatic pattern change and ecosystem of agriculture also change. The fundamental concern that we all uh, have is that the food production will not be able to deliver what are expected to feed the people. The livelihoods of the farmers will be at risk. And not because of the climate change, but because of the evolving market and trade requirement. So all of this putting a lot of pressure and also difficulties to the farmers, uh, and in fact, all stakeholders of agri-food businesses, so I think what, uh, what is important now that we all need to look at is that perhaps it's about time that we connect the work of uh, COP26 and UN Food System Summit, that we all need to ensure that we can address one of the elements of the issues and challenges, but we need to really help to maintain functionality and resiliency of the food systems, which also built in the uh, possible impact of climate change, how we can address and how we can adapt to. I think all of this, um, it will lines to a number of areas where we need to look at, of course, uh, in terms of uh, integrating, uh, organizing farmers uh, into a group so that they become a bit more capable to come up with various uh, work like organization of input, uh, production uh, practices, best practices, and so on and so forth adoption of uh, innovation and technology. We need to help them. 
you know, uh, because the knowledge we have will change. And of course, with the aging farmers uh, situation, we also need to help them to access to technology, minimizing the risk uh, in terms of extreme climate event. You know, uh, we also need to work. So these are some of the numbers uh, of uh, area we need to address. But I would like to underline the final point that uh, we all need co collaboration from all uh, stakeholders in agri-food business, from farmers, valuation actors, and even the consumer. The consumer is now playing an important role to make choice, to support sustainable products, to help the farmers, so that we all can survive this impact together. Well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the, the role of collaboration, because that's sort of the next question I wanted to, to get into with you. And that is, you mentioned earlier some of the partners, the Mekong Institute's working with GIZ and others. And I, I wanted to ask you, I know, think about that, uh, think about, again, partnership and the extensive experience that you've had here in the region around that area um, and the importance of partnership in addressing some of these challenges that you just, you just discussed here today. With food and ag partnerships in our region, uh, what are the most important aspects that, uh, in your mind, in your estimation, of making sure that they're really successful for the partners that are involved, making it a win-win, I guess? Yes, um, uh, do, uh, you, you, you are certainly right. Uh, the challenges that agri-food uh, sector uh, is now experiencing are, are huge. And I think no single uh, government agency uh, can tackle on top of that, uh, government uh, will be playing more important role on policy regulatory uh, framework and so on and so forth. But those who really drive the scale and also introduce using technology innovation are private sector. Of course, farmers themselves working as a, as a group, uh, value chain stakeholder will play important role of connecting the farmers with the markets and consumer all of this indicate that we all need to find a partnership mechanism that allow these people to work together. Each of these partners uh, provide input and role to play, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, over the past number of years, partnership is, is being looked at. But I think what we experience is that how partnership can go much beyond uh, just engaging in the meeting, consulting, uh, with them. I would think uh, for partnership to be successful, we still need to really recognize the role of multiple stakeholders. We also need to create a platform where they can be part of the process and then supporting them on how we can showcase success and replicate success uh, in various places. I would like just also to emphasize that public-private partnership will stand in the heart of this partnership because the two are the main players. One is on policy regulatory system. The other one is about resources, technology, and work closely with the farmers. So uh, I think this need to be supported. This need to be facilitated so that uh, we all can work together to ad address not only the issue we are experiencing now, but even challenges that we will see in the future. Thanks for that. Well, you know, we've talked about so many challenges here just in this brief conversation. We've, we've talked about climate change, sustainability, resiliency, in the food systems. With this last question, we'd like to lighten it up just a little bit and think about, you know, we've talked about a lot of the challenges, but what are the opportunities? Maybe 
if you were to take a look into your crystal ball by five, five or 10 years from now and looking ahead could forecast something that you think, you know, maybe uh, is a good opportunity, a good, good chance that something in a positive light will, will come to fruition here, uh, particularly within Southeast Asia. Yeah. You might project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before answering the, the question, I would like to revisit uh, a few things. One is that we are experiencing a more uh, diverse uh, issue and challenges in agriculture. Yeah, extreme climate event, more stringent market and trading requirement, aging farmers uh, uh, generation. So all of this point out to the fact that we cannot uh, practice agriculture producing food in the way we do in the past anymore. You know. If you look at how the market has been evolving uh, over the past few years, particularly during the um, COVID-19, the digital application, digital uh, platform, e-commerce now started to come in. If I was to see how uh, five or 10 years from now, we need to really work something out, not as an option, but as a way to really survive, and making sure that we can continue to support farmers, I think it will be the uh, wider adoption of innovation and technology. This is basically to address all those issues and challenges I explained. And it's not only to make technology innovation available, we need to work on a viable business model that can create scale. You know? So that farmers will have access to technology that are applicable to their available resources and capacity. Because farmers, we need to tap on uh, a good production inputs, you know, farming technology, helping them, whether they can really access to the use of machinery, whether, you know, uh, harvesting method and so on and so forth, even uh, access to market the digital uh, digitalization, digital tool and platform, all of this. I think uh, if we are not able to catch up and find way of, uh, you know, developing a viable, scalable business model to support farmers' adoption of innovation of technology, I think it will be quite difficult for us. Uh, and there will be more and more farmers are losing out from the agriculture we will not, no longer be able to attract and engage younger generation, you know, farmers, rural community. So just to just to uh, see in the five, 10 years from now is a very robust, viable business model that can facilitate adoption of innovation of technology. To me, this is the only way to continue to meet the demand of the market and trading requirement at the same time, addressing all various challenges and issues I named earlier. Thank you for that. You know, and, and as we close here out the session, also thinking about the year of these interviews, what you just said really is is what we've heard a lot of around. You know, the, the need for changing that approach, changing the business model. Technology is a part of it. And if there's a silver lining, maybe uh, with the pandemic, that you've seen some of that. Maybe it's been accelerated a little bit. I know e-platforms e and market access a little bit maybe some new ways of doing things for farmers which has been encouraging so thank you Suryan. and so with that we you're officially off of the five good questions hot seat you, you made it through we appreciate your time appreciate your insights today and uh and thank you for doing this thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed today's podcast and if you did please rate review and subscribe 
look forward to bring you another five good questions interview.